it's really interesting because it's such a different approach because some people might say, well, what if you just email people and ask for some tips and do an Instagram shout out? I'm like, that's not going to build an incredible relationship. Forging powerful relationships with others begins with the relationship you have with yourself. I wouldn't say I went from being unhappy to happy, but I went from a place of internal turmoil to a lot of peace. I still have anxiety, but like there's so much peace. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Stryer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the preeminent personal injury marketing agency. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, head on over to Apple or Spotify and pound that five-star review button. And if you don't like what you hear, tell me about it in a one-star review. I get a big hug for all my haters too. Each week, we talk to the best in the legal industry. Ready to dominate your market? Let's go. A great way to connect with potential clients is to tell great stories. This can look like personal and brand narratives or client success stories. This helps individuals see a firm as a human, trustworthy, a brand that they can and want to interact with. Stories are so powerful that they can elevate a firm's brand by creating community. To rate community through story, consider partnering with a community ambassador to identify great narratives with major impact. Owner of Russell Media, Luke Russell is a community ambassador and an expert in human connection, a skill that has taken years to master. They create goodwill in diverse communities by telling unique research-backed stories. This is a strategy that helps law firms build trust and authority, all while solidifying their brand. Let's tell a beautiful message while saying, hey, we're going to hold these companies accountable. Today, they offer a fresh look at how to create powerful, long-form content that both Google and humans love, get an inside look at how Luke reimagines tired marketing narratives and transforms them into human-centered marketing masterpieces. Luke also has a background in digital marketing and copywriting, which began in high school. Here's Luke Russell, community ambassador, on how MySpace kicked off an obsession with digital marketing. I was in late elementary and early middle school at MySpace's height, like when that was the thing. And I remember seeing people doing cool things with their profiles and I didn't understand anything of code. So this is a, this is a seed planet of like, man, I wish, I wish I could do those cool things. So, you know, the way people would do their custom code on their profile, which thank goodness Facebook and Instagram doesn't allow. And I think I was 14 years old in high school. I still had this like underlying, I want to learn how to build websites kind of thing in me. And my dad walks by my bedroom and he goes, hey, Luke, if I buy you Adobe Dreamweaver, and this is back when you like bought the software for 400 bucks. And uh, he's like, if I bought you Adobe Dreamweaver, would you build me a website? Because he had just retired from teaching and was starting a foreign language software business, teaching his instruction was in schools and whatnot. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm in. I've always wanted to learn to build websites. So that was kind of where it had been. That seed had been planted early on in my late elementary, early middle school. And then it was in high school when I actually started doing it. And then at the same time, well, really earlier than that in middle school, at least by the age of 13, I began honing my writing technique. Like I wasn't just writing. I was like looking at like the way authors would use different types of punctuation styles and, and the way they would break grammar to make their point more powerfully than if they had followed the rules. And I'm very much like if everybody says that's the way to do it, then I'm like, let's just do it a different way just because. Who cares if it's worse? But like, it's not what everybody else is doing, which is not always the best trait. 
So I started very early on in those early teen years as both honing my copywriting skills as well as my code writing skills. And that's where it all started. Built my dad's website. I remember the first website I built was for, uh, well, for somebody else was for a radio station. And in exchange, they were going to pay for my database design class at the local university. Well, it wasn't local, but the university in Indianapolis. And because I was also, I was like, you know, as like a 15 year old kid who's like, how do I, you know, prove I'm more important than everybody else? I was like, I'm going to start going to college at 16. And so I did. The IEPY in Indianapolis had a whole program for high school students who want to start taking classes. So I was taking college level coding and database and all that stuff. So that's how I got into here. That's fantastic. I, I cut my teeth with with Dreamweaver too. Some of my first sites, oh, just brutal. Oh. I was... <laughs> I was back in the affiliate marketing day and I just had nothing but Dreamweaver sites. You know, it's interesting, but I still use a lot of that code when I need to get in there and roll the sleeves up. Oh, yeah. The other thing, too, is about MySpace. Of course, I had a MySpace profile, too. Is It was the it was key to just change that song on the profile. Yeah. Everything was about that song, the whole design, the whole theme. And the top friends. What? A, what? That's such a trip. So you rolled up your sleeves and you went right to work and you learned by doing, hey, you set this goal and you learn. Now, take me forward. What brought you into the legal space? So after I graduated high school early, because it was another thing I could do that would somehow make me better than other people. And because it's like, oh, what does everybody else do? They go for four years. I was like, great. You know what? Just cut a semester off because, you know, um, that's it's against the grain. And so by the time my friends graduated in call, high school, I was already a sophomore at this point. I only made it one more semester. I made a full year of college and I was going to business school because I finally realized like I want to start my own business. And I realized that despite it being Kelly School business, um, not many people had started their own businesses. And I realized, or we're talking about this, like, you know, this oil company that's, you know, doing $700 million on this or that. And I remember I co-founded the Entrepreneurship Club. We're having this whole seminar. We brought in all these local CEOs of these companies. And this woman behind me, I hear her just go, I just want to open up an art studio. That was the moment where I realized, like, I just kind of want to open up my equivalent of an art studio. Like, I don't want to be learning how to write memos. So I quit college after being there for a year at age 18, started my business in 2009. My business is still legally the same, and I can't bring myself to change it. It's called a single page LLC because I was like, I won't just do websites because that's what everybody else does. Like, what is what's not being offered? You know what? One page websites. This was before the Wix and everything was like and so I started doing that and I ended up in 2011 hiring a business consultant to help me build my business. And he happened to have another client who was named Ken Hardison of Pilma. And so he was like, Luke, let me connect you up with Ken Hardison. And so I end up in July 2011. So I'm 21 years old at this point. I end up in like Myrtle Beach at a mastermind event for lawyers. I don't know anything about these personal injury lawyers and then they chase ambulances and they're better, you know, and that's about it. I don't even have any idea what a personal injury is. That's how I got and an attorney there had heard me and ended up hiring me as their marketing director for several years. And I just, I never ever intended to go to this space, um, but I kind of fell in love with it because a few things. One was even after doing this for 12 years, I think most PI marketing is completely out of touch with humanity. And I'm not saying all of it's terrible. And even if it's out of touch, it doesn't mean it doesn't work. It's so boring, so disconnected with people's daily lives. Congratulations, you're injured. Call me. Right. 
<laughs> exactly. Nobody and, and nobody thinks they're going to be injured, so they don't care about your message. And then they're like, shoot, I, I am injured. And so I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. Not kind of, I do. I like that. It really requires a lot of thoughtful creativity. And then the other aspect is we have, so I, at age 17, I came face to face with suicide and walked away from an attempt on my own life. I fell into this industry that has much higher against the general population rates of suicide, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, divorce, et cetera. And so this was very early on, actually, what attracted the firm to bring me in as their marketing director. I started producing content that showed how PI lawyers are doing really, really important work. And they've also been really mischaracterized. And I don't know this, um, but, but my guess is being vilified by society doesn't help yeah. mental health. I'm not, not saying that that is causing suicide or causing depression, but it, it sure isn't helping. And so for me, it's been like, how do I sh- highlight the beauty of attorneys while also the fact of what they're doing is really, really important in our society. So that's how we got here. Thank you for sharing that and, and being vulnerable and transparent. And what a person to be connected to is Ken Hardison, you know, Pilma, Personal Injury Lawyer Marketing Management Association, such a, such a great human being. And, and I want to take it to, to the mental health side. Now, from doing my research, some of the things and your journey, it's, it's more clear, like on your Lawful Good podcast where you have your, your mental health resources, even the SEO police is, is now, it makes sense because you're protecting the attorneys. When I put up an ad, a Facebook ad, it doesn't matter what I say. It could be the best message in the world. The first comment is ambulance chaser chaser. <laughs> yep. That's what I get. Now I just, I'm just like, what? Did you watch the video? So let's focus in on on the mental health. Um, for you, what kind of took you to this the mindset change and and got you to where you're now? You're you you're just when I talk to you, you're happy and and you're so full of life. Like how what was that shift? Yeah. So I was definitely happy as a teen, most people in my life didn't know that I came to the brink of ending my life uh, at my own hands. And that um, wasn't until I was 29 that I actually opened up publicly about it. And some close friends knew, but outside of that, it wasn't something I talked about. There's actually a lot of shame I had around this idea of like, I had a good childhood, good parents, good family, good church, good school, good grades. Like what, you know, what was wrong with me that I, I thought my life was so bad that I wanted to end it. And for me, it was I had internalized this idea that like who I was was wrong, like in the sense that like I was too talkative, too bossy, too much, too intense, too much this. And what's interesting too, like looking back, like, you know, it was like my teachers didn't know how to be like, hey, Luke, like, you you know how like when you're telling a story, it's really fun when people listen. I'm like, yeah, like shut up while other people are telling their story because they want you to listen. I'm like, oh, no one ever put it that way. It was just like, Luke, you talk too much or too much of this and too much of that. And so I think that's part of what added to this idea of like, man, like this is why people don't like me, which again is very skewed because if you looked at my life, you'd be like, what are you talking about, Luke? But I had this idea in my head that people didn't like me. I wasn't good enough. And I, and so that's where I was just like, I was in so much pain that I wanted to be away from the pain of self-hatred. That night, I remember I was going to walk, I was walking toward an attempt and I mean, just remember tears streaming down my face because I was in so much pain and I ended up walking away from the attempt. And that night, like I, I remember, so like I didn't have a lock on my bedroom door. I remember. So like I sat down on the floor with my back against the door. That way, if my parents tried to walk in, 
They'd be like, oh, you know, and like, you know, do up, do up a different expression quickly. And I remember sitting there and hearing a voice in my head. You can ascribe it to God, myself. I have no idea. Um, but I heard a voice in my head and it was, Luke, I love you and I want you to live. And in that moment, I was just like, all right, I'm going to live and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this again. But I still had two and a half more years of darkness and loneliness. And so then it just, I ended up getting invited to this workshop that it's an experiential workshop. If people have been to one, you know it. If you haven't, you're like, what is it? Let me tell you, it, it'll freak most people out. I'm at this, we do this game and putting quotes around that because it's a weird activity that is meant to help you look at your behavior. And the next, that's on a Friday night. The next morning we come back in in our small group. My coach is like, hey, who wants to talk? And I was like, I'll talk. And she's like, so how do you show up? And I was like, well, I was like kind of in the back of the room trying to figure everything out. And, and so my coach, Sean, she looks at me and goes, you know, how's that show up in your relationships? And I said, you know, I don't really have many close friends and I kind of like it like that. And she looks at me and goes, Luke, I don't think you believe that. And I remember I, I stopped for a moment and I looked back and I said, you're right, I don't. And that um, began a very long journey. So that was at age 19, 2009 in November. And that began a long journey of me figuring out what it looks like to really forge really intentional relationships with others and also myself. So I talk a lot about human connection because that's my passion. And that for me is connection with others and connection with self. Luke eventually arrived at self-love. And I define that for me as this capacity to lovingly hold space for myself no matter what's happening around me. But their journey to self-love was non-linear. They experienced the ups and downs, setbacks and leaps forward. In late 2021, Luke sat in the aftermath of an argument and knew that everything had changed. And I sit down and I don't even know where this thought came from. I haven't had this thought under my head in years. And I sit down and my brain goes, I fucking hate my life. And before I even didn't even have to process or anything, my brain then immediately responded with, no, Luke, I love you. And that was when I was like, oh, snap, I did it. This is the capacity for me that like even my own brain can be like, man, we suck. And then my own brain goes, no, we don't. And that took a lot of work. I've had so many coaches and retreats and books that I've gone through and so much self-reflection. And so like it was a long journey. And most people I meet that I have these conversations with, they don't have that experience of self-love. And so I've been thinking a lot because people are like, man, I wish I could have that. I mean, some of the most prominent attorneys in this country have told me, man, you know, maybe you could coach me. And I'm like, I don't have any idea how I got here. So like, um, but so that's kind of, I just want to clarify a couple things of like, I wouldn't say I went from being unhappy to happy, but I went from a place of internal turmoil to a lot of peace. I still have anxiety, but like, there's so much peace around it. And so it was a long journey. Exercise, I do believe, is a big part of it. My sleep routine is a big part of it. I'm really, really intentional about cultivating relationships. So I have many, many rich relationships. And rather than scrolling on social media, which I'm not moralizing, I might open Facebook for 30 seconds. But if I see a story that's interesting, I'm not going to comment on your post. I'm going to send you a message, Chris, because I'm be like, ooh, Chris, let me send you this message because I, I, I thought that was really cool what I saw. So I don't know what all got me here. Um, I also don't think I have any clinical 
depression or anxiety, uh, while I might have chronic anxiety, I don't have clinical anxiety. And so I don't know, like my, I don't think my journey is like uh, other people who have faced suicide, but that's a little bit, that's a little bit of a diversion for you. Wow. The only thing I think of is, is just so many people probably go through this and, and to, to be at this place where you're at now and you, you've come to this realization and you've come to peace and you have that inner voice that's now positive, like say, no, I love you. That's, that's so amazing that you've been able to do that. And I love the idea, you know, you passing this along and being that coach and what brings you passion now? I, I can see it. Like one of the interviews that I picked up was the interview of you and James Helm. And James is a good buddy of mine and such a great conversation. So it's a, such a deep conversation of meaning. So where, where does that lead you today in terms of your projects and your, your focus and your passion? So I've been working with just three law firms where I'm working as a community ambassador for them to come in. And basically, from my perspective, I'm a human connection expert in this. Like I'm saying, like, let me I'm going to help you go build goodwill in the community really powerfully. Nothing I'm doing is quantity based. And I don't want to like, again, I like to be very careful. I'm not because I feel like a lot of times people talk and they're like, this is the like morally superior form of marketing. And I'm like, let's like, if you're being manipulative, like let's call it what it is. But like most lawyer social media is as boring as it gets. It's, it's irrelevant. It's out of touch and they get three likes. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Um, but to the to flip side of a quantity standpoint, there's a lot of, from an SEO standpoint, there's a lot of quantity that puts in and there's a, like reasons for the quantity. But what I'm doing is I'll write an SEO friendly piece a piece, maybe once a month, that takes hours. I wrote this whole piece and we're working on finalizing it because it's bias in the courtroom. And so these firms have hired me to come in and help them build rich relationships with different kinds of groups, which includes the LGBT community. And mind you, this is in central Florida, rural central Florida. And this is where we start talking about motorcycles, motorcyclists, and how juries will have bias against that. But then it's like, if people can have bias against a motorcyclist and be like, they're probably like popping wheelies down the interstate, what do they deserve? Well, then what happens if our clients are a gay couple? Will people in central rural Florida get the re legal representation they need? How does bias show up in the courtroom? And it's not about even saying that if people have bias, the bias is bad. It's just saying there's bias. It's the things we have. The insurance attorneys are going to look at this and go, ooh, look, this is a really red area. I bet we can lowball offer this lawyer with their with this gay couple. The lawyer will probably tell the client to take it because they don't think they can win at trial because they don't believe that the jurors of this city can set aside their bias to fulfill their oath as on as a juror. Here's what I know about the people of this city in Central Florida is that the people care about their word, they care about justice and that they can see past whatever personal views they have to deliver justice for my clients. You talk about that and like, we're playing a whole different ball game, but you can't write that up in an hour. And so it's like this really beautiful piece that I spent hours on. And so like, but it's really interesting because now we're starting to tell different messages that I think are just like uplifting to humans in general. It's marketing messages people aren't hearing. And so like, there's that aspect or like I'm working with a client in Texas who, where we're, we're focused a lot on the hair relaxer litigation. I tried to write a history of hair relaxers, which I thought would be really simple. And it turned out to be one of the most, more comp not most, but more complicated topics I've researched because 
there's not a lot of authoritative sources. And most of the lawyers who put up pages on hair relaxers aren't even citing the research properly. So what I've been looking at is most of these law firms are either putting out inaccurate or incomplete content and sometimes blatantly false, but they don't realize it because somebody else quoted this article as saying this. So then they quoted it and they cited it. Except when you read the research, it doesn't say that. So like I've been digging in, but I look at this and go, how do we do this in a community fashion? How do we do this with human connection? And it's like, what if we go out and we work with hairstylists and we say, so like, yeah, hair relaxers, these chemical straighteners are causing cancer. But what if it's not just all about doom and gloom? If a woman has been using chemical straighteners and she wants to stop, well, that's actually like a multi-month process of regrowing her hair out because you don't just stop and your hair all of a sudden stops being straight. Like, so a lot of times women will cut their hair shorter. And then like, as you're growing your hair out, like there's all these different stages that sometimes feels awkward, unless you have a great hairdresser who's like, let me show you how to make every step of this be awesome and empowering. And so I was like, let's, let's make this a whole story about black hair. And yes, the hair relaxers that companies like L'Oreal have been studies have tied these chemicals to these cancers. And let's just talk about more than that. So then now I'm working with hairstylists to plan interviews and to come into their salons and do videos and build relationship with them as an individual, promote a local business and talk about something that's beautiful while also still bringing by interviewing somebody who doesn't use chemical relaxers with their clients or with most of their clients and mostly all their clients are using alternative techniques. Well, now it's like, hey, look, we're still talking about hair relaxers, except we're talking about like, here's how to style your beautiful hair. Here's different. Look at this. And here's that. And there's so much rich history to black hair. And it's also rifled with a lot of negative history. There's so much reclamation of that power. And I'm saying like, what if we don't just talk about the bad of the litigation? This is all new, so I'm, I'm really excited about it, but it's really interesting because it's such a different approach because some people might say, well, what if you just email people and ask for some tips and do an Instagram shout out? And I'm like, that's not going to build an incredible relationship. So I'm like, now it doesn't take a lot of time. I'm going to fly to Houston, set up a times to meet with these hairdressers and we're going to do all this stuff. And I've got other ideas about like, maybe we do like a gift certificate for this salon to help promote them even further. And like, who knows? Like, but so now it just comes down to like, how do we do a relationship strategy that's where I lean into my instincts for building relationships? So that's what I'm excited. That's one project I'm excited about. That's my main focus right now. There, there's so much to that. And I know a lot of the, the SEO people and content people are all afraid about chat GPT. Yes and no, right? If you, if you have an original piece where you are the source and it is truly custom, truly creative and unique, then then you're automatically going to stand out. People aren't going to be able to replicate easily what you're doing. There, there's a gap there, right? You have to fly there and have these personal relationships. I also have to imagine that they may be more open to share with that high touch in person because they're being vulnerable. Do they want to be vulnerable over a phone call? Like they don't know that individual, even the content you get and, and their reactions and I also just think it's so positive and yes, this was a solution to straightening hair, but now here are these other solutions for styling your hair differently. Maybe there's some other products. So I think going the extra mile is amazing. Even the piece on, on bias, there's nothing out there like that. I, I can't imagine there's many, like maybe there's a couple good pieces to cite, but nothing as original as what you're creating. And that's a whole different level of skill set. And yeah, we look at these torts 
I'm in the mass tort game, right? There's a lot of people in the mass tort game. They want mass tort cases. They want, whether it's Camp Lejeune or the hair straightener or AFFF, whatever it is. I always talk about my clients creating something unique because then then you're the source and you automatically stand out. So first of all, that that's fantastic. And doing something like that, I guess it acts almost like the grassroots component as well. Like, hey, this attorney really cares about its people. Yep. So like with that Texas client, they do PI as well, which was originally going to be my focus. But they're like, hey, we're really heavy on the hair relaxer litigation. So I was like, all right, I just thought I was going to write a piece because I'm a good writer. I'm a good researcher. I thought I'll write a piece. And I was like, how will I go about this? I was like, I'll go about the history. And then I was like, then the history. I'm like, I'm reading books. I'm digging through research archives. Like, I, I don't think there are many marketers in this country who are digging around the overall story surrounding this to understand, like, how do we make this? Now, there are some, like, trust me, I have some friends, some black and brown attorneys. What they're doing is incredible. And I don't even want to put myself in their same um, court. But for the court I'm playing in, it's uh, like there's not a whole lot of people who are digging in. It comes down to the firm has to understand, like, what we're producing is something so different. And going to your kind of like that original source, like, no other law firm is out there saying, let me produce original content on black hair. It's just hair litigation focused. And I'm saying, like, let's tell a beautiful message while saying, hey, we're going to hold these companies accountable. If you type into Google Trends or AREFs or SEMrush, you're going to see hair relaxer lawsuit. And here are the iterations of that phrase. And then here's our H2s, right? It's, it's a hair, some variation of that. And you're just not going to have an original piece. We talk about those different signals that Google loves. And if you have an original piece, they're going to stay longer. They're going to come back. They're going to share it with their friends. And so it has all those intangibles. Where does Russell Media come into play? And the reason I ask specifically is because we share a client together, Stuart Gus, attorney at law. Yep. Sean and their team are fantastic. And he was so complimentary of your guys' client service. So tell me, where, where does Russell Media fit in? Is the new passion to do these, these projects? Yeah, this is all under the Russell Media umbrella. We still have a couple, few dozen clients where we advertise for, and we've got a, a team that handles all of that. I recently brought in somebody to take over all of that who's just got lots of extensive PI advertising background. I'm really excited about that. And because I wanted somebody who could take us higher than where we had been was like, I need somebody who can elevate us. And so I brought in a great person for that. So we're still we're still servicing all that. You know, it, it's that transparency. I've had clients tell me like that we're one of the few vendors they don't have any issues with billing where they said they'll have other vendors overbilling them when they shouldn't be. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, that seems like a really low bar. <laughs> I've always a little, which is, you know, is that like, let me make sure I'm delivering value, make sure I'm showing up. It's about, like, and giving thoughtful explanations to things. So like on an advertising campaign, especially in mass torts, there are times where we're going and like, we will spend just as much time researching and assessing to decide to make changes as the amount of time to not make changes. Because sometimes when we're running these social ad campaigns, you're like, man, I think we got to let this algorithm play out another week or two. And if we're spending one, two, three, four thousand dollars a day, that's not a small decision to do nothing. So it's like there's times where I've spent 15 hours digging through data and my response is we're going to turn off these three ads and leave everything else. But I have to make sure to the client like they're paying us a lot of money. 
and also spending even more on their advertising. I want to make sure that they understand, like, you know, if we're spending one, five, 10 grand a day, if we're not making changes, here's the logic. And so it's even on stuff like that. I tend to prefer to over communicate than under communicate to just be like, and, and I send novellas as emails, which um, some clients love. I'm sure some clients are like, you could have could have said that in a text message. And, uh, but I'd rather just be like, Hey, look, like here's all these thoughts that went into this. And so I don't know, some thoughts that come up for me. The over communication, it also makes you more trustworthy, right? In terms of, Hey, maybe something didn't go right. We're pausing these and it wasn't a home run, but now we're going to do this versus just, Oh, we slipped that under the rug and these didn't work and we're not going to tell anybody about it. I imagine growing the accounts with the trust component is there from that too. We've had things that flop and I never beat around the bush. I'll, I'll say on the PI side, a lot of what we do is long-term. And so what happens is because they're long-term like education strategies, what'll happen is lawyers will be excited to sign up and then lose sight of the fact that like this is a multi-year approach. What we're doing is we're list building and we're staying in touch with these people and it's a very long-term strategy. And in that, it's a lot more of like, hey, like we got to keep going on the path we're going on or you need to just stop spinning if you don't like it. But there's not it's not the same sort of it's totally different from when we do mass tours, which is there's a lot of flops just straight up. Like, and it's easier to tell a flop because it's not a long term strategy. If we spend 50 grand and you get two cases that like that's just terrible. I got to own up to that. And so like people, I have those where I just tell people like, I'm not you know, like, here's the numbers. Like, let me know how can I show up to you? And maybe it's like, well, you know, we waive the fees on our next mass tour campaign. Cause it's like, and, and I know that's, you know, some people would tell me not to do that, but like, it's a relationship game. You know, these people have been with me for years. So I want to show up. I think when you choose a niche, you choose an industry, they have friends, they have their peers. Like you want to have integrity. You want to do the right thing because yep. you've decided that, Hey, this is the space I'm going to live. And I don't know about you. I want to be able to look people in the eye. Yeah. Know that, hey, I did everything I could. I was transparent with you and I can walk away and I, I can feel good. I can, the head hits the pillow. I'm, I'm good. Like, as you know, the SEO game, not every campaign is, is a home run. As much as we have our systems, our processes, our trainings, it's just sometimes some things don't work and they take longer to work than you, you think they, that it will take. And I think that's where that communication and that candor and honesty comes into play. Tell me too, I want to go back to the lawful good. I'm the host of a podcast. I have a few of my favorite podcasts. If anyone hasn't listened to your show, what's like a couple episodes that really stand out that you really enjoyed? I have been told that season three, episode one was one of my best interviews ever. All right. Now this is a good friend of mine, Julia Metz, and I love her. Okay. I just don't know how to evaluate that it was better than... Ben Crump or John Morgan. I'm like, they were all great. Like, but I will say, get the tissue box out if you're going to listen to Julia's. It's heavy. I love how rich it is, but like, or deep it is, and how people are like, man, I've not even talked about these stories in years. Close to like a quarter of my guests cry. And it's not like I'm trying to get people to cry. Like, we go there. And so, like, to me, the crying is a reflection of, of the like vulnerability space. But, um, so there's Julia Mess, which is season three, episode one. Ben Crump was, uh, I spent more time prepping for interviewing Ben because he's, had more interviews than any other attorney I've interviewed. He's got more content published on him. I got two hours of Ben's time. I also refused to take less than two hours with anybody, which proved challenging with getting on Ben's schedule. And I was like, man, I did it. Like now I need to make sure it's worth Ben's time. Like it needs to be good. 
And I got stories, people, little things that people hadn't gotten out of, uh, gotten before. And so, like, that's just kind of fun. Each interview, I think, is is good. I think there's some in which maybe the storytelling gets edited in a little more potent way, or maybe people are a little more concise. But I'd say season one, episode one, if you want that, Ben Crump, I think, is like episode 10 of season one, season three for Julia. Um, and John Morgan's, I, there were some moments, and I'll say this, like, that's the thing is when you, like, ask me, there's a moment in John Morgan's where I ask him if he had fond memories with his mother. And that was a question I didn't plan. We're talking about how his mother had gone from being really loving and present to becoming abusive and mentally ill. I just in the moment was like struck with the question of like, John, do you have any fond memories with your mom? Which afterwards I was like, wow, where'd that question come from? But that was like a moment where I was just like really proud of myself as an interviewer because I end up collecting really intimate, potent stories. So I appreciate that so much. The, the thing that I've noticed when doing the research for, for podcasts is a lot of times shows get in this like loop where it's like they just repeat their same, they, they go back to their core things that they like to talk about. Yep. And just going deeper, it makes me want to go jump into these interviews right now and listen to these. And you're so great at the conversation and the questions and just the back and forth. And I think everyone should check it out. Lawful Good Podcast. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they get a hold of you and what's next? Find me on social. If I'm on the platform, my handle is always the same. It's Luke W. Russell. That's really a great way to find me. And uh, I know you. the last part was what's next. What's next? That's a big one, right? No, no, it's great. So yesterday I just signed all the paperwork with a guy who his whole specialty is launching YouTube channels. I am helping people expand their presence as a thought leader. But what's next is I'm I'm gonna like be investing a lot in really on my like the human connection aspect. That's gonna be a big focus of mine over the next three years. Is and which is already like what I'm doing with these law firms where I'm working as an ambassador. It's all about human connection. But now I'm saying like, hey, let me. I've learned a lot of lessons over the last 15 years. Things that I've not heard people talk about. Not that no one is, but that I think. I really want other people to be able to experience the depths and richness of human connection that they want in their lives. Thanks so much to Luke Russell for everything they shared today. All right, it's time for the pinpoints. Pinpoint number one, go beyond the facts to captivate your audience. Draw them in. Wrap your topic in a human story. This will connect you to real humans in a meaningful way. It will also help reinforce your brand and showcase your values. We're starting to tell different messages that I think are just like uplifting to humans in general. It's marketing messages people aren't hearing. Pinpoint number two, give it time. Marketing content that is interesting takes time to develop. Long form, research-based, thoughtful content won't happen in an hour or even a day. Luke goes the extra mile to generate human stories that draw people in and create lasting connections. I'm gonna fly to Houston, set up times to meet with these hairdressers and we're gonna do all this stuff. And I've got other ideas about like, maybe we do like a gift certificate for the salon to help promote them even further. And like, who knows? Pinpoint number three, get comfortable with discomfort. Creating an intentional relationship with yourself might be challenging, but inner peace means a better relationship with yourself and everyone around you. My brain then immediately responded with, no, Luke, I love you. And that was when I was like, well, snap, I did it. Like, this is the capacity for me that like, even my own brain can be like, man, we suck. And then my own brain goes, no, we don't. I'm Chris Stryer. Thanks for listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. If today's show gave you some food for thought, do me a solid. Let me know what you like and what you don't like and click that follow button so you never miss an episode. Come back for fresh interviews from the best in the business. 
Now get out there and dominate.